Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Curry. Curry driving with wall back goes reverse with a left hand. It was sweet. This is Warriors Roundtable with the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Jared Jack with the first possession of Bogut. Great pass to Lee. Over the head. Done for David Lee. How good has Bogut's passing been tonight? I mean, wow. on the mark. Well, the good news was the Golden State Warriors finally get a win and started playing Warriors basketball yet again. Uh, the victory last night over the Phoenix Suns snapped a six-game losing streak. Hi, everyone. I'm Tim Roy, and once again, I invite you to take a seat around the roundtable. It's the Warriors' weekly roundtable, and it's the trading deadline edition. Golden State making a couple of minor trades today involving Jeremy Tyler and Charles Jenkins to get under the luxury tax threshold. We'll talk more about that with Bob Myers. The Warriors GM will stop by and chat with us in just a moment, so stay tuned for that. Later on the hour, I'll talk with Mitch Lawrence of the New York Daily News. We'll do winners and losers of the trading deadline. We'll also hear about the Warriors' experience in Houston, Texas, in the All-Star Wrap-Up. And then I'll answer a couple of your questions on the Twitter, at WarriorsVox, WarriorsVox, or you can send me an email at uh, TimRoy at Warriors.com. So a lot to do in tonight's show, and I want to talk to Bob Myers about those trades and what they mean not only for the Warriors this year, but also for next year and years to come. We'll do that in just a moment, so stay tuned for that. But a quick reminder that tomorrow night is an Authentic Fan Friday brought to you by Comcast Sportsnet, and you can see the Warriors debut the first-ever modern short-sleeve uniform where they take on the San Antonio Spurs and be a part of the Authentic Fan Experience. The first 19,000 fans will receive a Harrison Barnes Collector Series cheer card. For ticket information, go to warriors.com slash fan Friday. And without further ado, we'll welcome Bob Myers, the Warriors General Manager, when we continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Lee in the bounce, cuts off and takes the hand off, baseline to the rack, jammed and was fouled. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. And as promised here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, Warriors General Manager Bob Myers is joining me. I'm Tim Roy. Warriors and Spurs tomorrow night. 7 o'clock is our airtime on the KMBR 680, the sports leader, and the Golden State Warriors radio network. So the trading deadline was noon today, West Coast time. But, uh, Bob, as we all know, sometimes... That's the deadline, but sometimes it gets stretched out as far as paperwork and phone calls and and conference calls until uh, later on in the afternoon. You've had a long and busy day. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot of dialogue, and this stretches back, Tim, for uh, for weeks and months, exploring everything. And every team does it, and even teams you you would see that didn't weren't able to complete any transactions it does not mean they were not pouring over different concepts and ideas on their own end but for us uh it was it was a lot of time and energy spent in in trying to do what was most prudent for this team and i I think we accomplished some things uh, that that will give us some flexibility and for for the present and also for the future so it it was very busy came down to uh the very end for us and uh and you're right paperwork on, on our side just the conference calls and the trade calls w- was just completed not too long ago. So talk about the two deals that you've made. Uh, Jeremy Tyler going to Atlanta and uh, Charles Jenkins to Philadelphia. What were you trying to accomplish? What did get done? 
Well, you know, a couple things on a lot of different levels. Uh, I think for the for the players' standpoint, uh, both Jeremy and, and Charles, I think when you do something uh, like this, uh, where you receive back draft considerations and, and create flexibility for yourself, you like to do what you think is right and the best for uh, for the players, if you can. Sometimes you can't, and that's the truth. But in this situation, we felt like both Jeremy and Charles were going to go to situations where they have a better opportunity to play. And it's difficult, Tim, uh, to sit across from a from any player, young or old, and uh, let them know that they were traded. These are people, and people we respected and worked hard for us. And uh, and uh, you know we're part of part of the reason we hope this this organization has slowly begun to turn around. Guys like this, so so that part was difficult. But for them to give them an opportunity, uh, for us it creates some flexibility uh, on the level on a couple different levels. One is to add another player uh, creates a couple roster spots, uh, but to add another player. Should we feel the need going forward? It gives us that option. Uh, secondly, uh, as far as getting out of the luxury tax, uh, which which these days in the new collective bargaining agreement carry uh, carry a couple different kinds of penalties. One is strictly financial, um, as far as paying a luxury tax, not getting a luxury tax distribution. But for, for the fans and and for people that support the team, the, the monetary element isn't too exciting. But as far as how it helps us on a basketball operations side. It does give us the chance to sign somebody else uh, for the rest of the season. And uh, the truth was Jeremy and Charles were not getting a great opportunity to play for us, and and we did not foresee that changing uh, for the next 28 games. So this gives us a chance to add another guy. Uh, Secondly, uh, what was created in the new collective bargaining agreement was uh, something called system limitations when you were in the luxury tax. This deal now gets us out of the luxury tax we have an increased amount of latitude should we want to make a trade at the draft. Um, and, and it gets into some, some very small minutiae, but the bottom line is is that we can now uh, make trades uh, without the, the amount of rigidness that you needed to, to do them under if you were in the tax. And, and then lastly, there's something that they call a repeater tax. So the more often you flirt with the tax and go into it, the more punitive the NBA can be. And I know this is Again, sometimes uh, you get a little bogged down in this stuff. But the bottom line is for our organization going forward and in the present, it creates increased flexibility, and we felt like it was the prudent thing to do. Well, for fans who want to know more about the – the CBA than they would ever want to. This gentleman named Larry Kuhn on the, on the internet, C O O N, and he has he breaks down the, the collective bargaining agreement for you. You can Google him and and read all about it. So so basically, by, by making this move, you can sign another player and not be in the tax situation. Yeah, and that was that was some of the motivation. And, and to be clear, um, for the listeners, there was no mandate from ownership to get out of the tax. There was no uh, pressure on that end, and and I think that's a blessing. For somebody that's in the position that I am as the general manager to tr- to try to win, and that's that's the one goal that that I've been tasked uh, to, and our basketball operations uh, staff has been asked to do is win. And so uh, to have an ownership group that that is not saying, like a lot of teams in the NBA uh, are saying, you better get out of the tax. That was never a directive. Uh, we felt like we had to be responsible and and, and see what made the most sense basketball wise and economically. But this deal and these deals, uh, Tim, were mostly done for, for basketball reasons. It creates flexibility. Like you said, we can, C-A-N, sign another player uh, and uh, for the rest of the season and be still be under the tax. So it gives us that opportunity. And then also, like I said, if there's a trade that takes place, whether it's at the draft or in uh, free agency of July, it just gives us uh, a lot more opportunity to do something like that. 
So let me ask you a question because just to maybe make it a little more interesting for the fans, you can sign another player. <laughs> this isn't interesting. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying in terms of what you're trying to do, and I think right. I know exactly where you're going with right. this. Is is that you can sign the? That was a very poor uh, way of me right. saying. I apologize that's for that. Right. Um, you know, I'm a wordsmith. I'm supposed to know these things. <laughs> the but you can sign a player, and he can play in the postseason. And if so, when is there a deadline that you have to sign that player by? Now you know what there is a deadline for players that are waived, uh, which is March first, I believe. You have to be waived by March first to be eligible to be on a playoff roster with a team. Uh, and conversely, to your point, I don't think there's an end time when you have to be signed by. Uh, if you're just a player that ha- has been waived already, you can sign them, I think, whenever you want to sign them. So to answer your question, um, if there's a player right now that's not with a team, you can sign him tomorrow if you wanted to. Right. If a player gets waived uh, and you'd like to sign him, that just has to take place or tra- transpire prior to March 1st. Okay. Okay, so that, because because I, I saw rumors that Miami is doing a similar thing by moving Dexter Pittman today, and that they're kind of freeing up a roster spot that they want to add somebody right. uh, for the postseason, so on and so forth. Uh, again, our guest is Bob Myers, Warriors general manager. Very uh, stimulating conversation here on the Warriors uh, Weekly Roundtable. I've got some questions from uh, people that who follow me on Twitter. Would you mind answering a couple? No, no problem. Okay, uh, I'll I'll try to. Again, combine a couple here. I've, I've got one where the fans were wondering about interest in, in Josh Smith, another uh, Greg Monroe. Is it, would, obviously, you, make, you have a lot of discussions going on. I imagine that other GMs are calling you and asking about certain players, players like these guys. Well, I, I, I guess the, the question was uh, towards us. Is that was the question was a fan asking? Yeah, would they have in, did you have interest in Monroe or Josh Smith? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't talk about another team's uh, players specifically it's just not allowed under the rules which i think is a good rule but um to answer the question in a general sense we're always looking to uh improve the team and be uh be smart about it and i think what the fans um will come to understand and 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 in the past to be honest tim did not the fan uh, uh, the fans did not have to understand was so many of the things that are done now are done with with the idea of how do they play out economically because Basketball is now, in the, with a new CBA, trending towards more what you see in the NFL, which is a hard salary cap. So what you're seeing now is so many moves uh, are, are motivated for economic reasons. And it doesn't mean to save money. What that means more of is how uh, much flexibility do you have to take on contracts? Uh, does, do you retain a mid-level exception? Can you assume a big contract that a team is trying to move? Uh, there's so many components to it. When when you use the word economic, people always assume, well, you're trying to save money. That's not the case anymore. I think you didn't see a lot of deals that occurred at this trading deadline because people are fearful in a different sense. It's not necessarily saving money. It's can I afford to take that player on because what's he going to cost? Or can I take a contract on that may go out extra years? So I think you're seeing the dawn of a new era a little bit in how teams view players and how they view trades. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing to, to watch occur. Bob, when you uh, talk about different deals, and, and uh, uh, especially this year, and you're looking at uh, the group that you have, you know, is part, is part of you saying, you know, I really want to see how this group reacts when we get Bogut going 100% and full bore and, and maybe, you know, encouraged by a performance like last night? Yeah, I think, uh, Tim, 
what we've always envisioned is to to see what we are with a healthy roster, and that includes Andrew Bogut. So that's been the goal all along. Unfortunately, and I said this, I think, uh, publicly a couple weeks ago, was we haven't had a great opportunity to do that, and that's the facts. I mean, we've had about eight games, uh, which is not enough of a sample size, in my opinion, and I think in our whole group's opinion, to make any determination one way or the other. And um, I believe that patience is a virtue in, in things like this, and, and you got to give a group a chance to gel. And that doesn't mean you watch a group that can't succeed and, and wait into oblivion for it to happen, but you have to give a group a chance to develop chemistry, to play together. And, uh, and, and specifically to Andrew, I'll tell you this, yes, last night was a, was a nice performance by him, but he'd be the first to tell you he doesn't think he's even gotten close to what he can be. Um, so if that's just a glimpse of what he can do, then uh, th- that's good for us. It's good for Warriors fans, and uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch because, you know, it's 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 a good group. It's an exciting group, but you can see at times it fits perfectly well. And Tim, you do our games, so you know. And then other times, you will see situations where you say, "Man, these guys, they haven't played together as much as they need to." It's only been eight games, so it cuts both ways. Of course, the trades today: Jeremy Tyler going to. Uh the uh, Tyler and Jenkins both being uh, traded today. Of course, Jenkins going to Philadelphia uh, for a uh, uh, future draft considerations. And then, of course, Jeremy Tyler was uh, traded uh, earlier also to Atlanta. And also in, in that particular deal, future draft considerations is the, the possibility there. Uh, as, as you talk about where you sent these guys, you give them a chance to play, uh, I'm struck by the fact that you sent Charles Jenkins to Philadelphia. Is that kind of a a, a favor or a, maybe a tip of the hat to Charles because that's so close to home for him? Well, again, Tim, you, you're trying to do any trade you do. You're trying to serve a dual purpose. And, and, and to be blunt, you have to take care of what's best for the organization first. And that may sound callous, but that's the truth in any business, I mean, uh, in any sports organization. But if you can, at the same time, do something that's a positive for a player that you like, that you respect, that's done good for you. You you do that as well. So the nice thing about both these players uh, getting traded to where they were was the teams that traded for him had inquired about him, had said good things about him, had mentioned that they like him. So um, those are all good things. And, uh, you know, Charles, I, I have no doubt, is going to make it in the NBA, as is Jeremy. But for us, uh, what we needed at this time was a little bit of flexibility and uh, and also going forward for us, I, I think we felt like, um, you know, to, to, to get some guys uh, in there that maybe could help us a little bit more in the near term and future term. But, but again, it's a very difficult thing to do. But, but yeah, we think being maybe close to home is, is, is never a bad thing. So we're happy for him. Warriors General Manager Bob Myers, our guest here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy. Uh, were you surprised by what happened today league-wide? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I thought, uh, it, you know, I'm privy to a lot of the conversations that are on, that are going on. So you do get wind of many things that you hear about. But, but what you learn pretty quickly, Tim, is that uh, most things that you uh, discuss don't happen, <laughs> whether it's you or any other team for that matter. So most of the things that um, are discussed and, and uh, deliberated over, I'd say 95% of the things don't happen. So surprised I guess I'm a little bit surprised because um, usually you see more things happen. But I think, uh, again, going back to the message and the theme that we discussed a little bit earlier, it's it's a lot of teams now adjusting to uh, 
to life under the new CBA. And what does that mean? And there's probably a little bit of trepidation there. And I think uh, you used to see the climate in the old CBA where people would spend and spend a little more freely. And now uh, you're seeing a little bit of tightening of the belts. And again, that's going to be construed as teams are trying to save money and make money. That's not the case. When I talk about saving money, I'm talking about teams being afraid of going into the luxury tax because what that does now is not just cost you money, and, and, and a lot of teams would be fine paying that money. We would be a team fine paying the money. But unfortunately, uh, now when you're in the luxury tax, it affects your ability to make trades. It affects your ability to do a lot of other things that it, that it used to not be able to uh, affect. As you look toward the summer, it seems like looking at the, the big picture for the Warriors, you'll have some flexibility and you also have uh, some decisions to make. There's always decisions to make, Tim. Uh, that's every well, you day. Don't, you don't get a day off in this this job. <laughs> I thought so, you know, but I was wrong. I told my wife it'd be easier than being an agent, but that was incorrect. <laughs> but oh, you're, uh, no, you're, you're going to hear about that for uh, years. You too. know what? Yeah. I I I I have learned that yes, there are no days off, um, and you're constantly thinking. And right or wrong, there are no boundaries. You're, you're trying to get your team better every day and every minute, whether you're whether you're at the trading deadline or approaching the trading deadline or approaching the draft. So we have a lot of decisions to make. Do we want to try and get in the draft this year? We had four picks last year, which was a lot. Do we want to try to get in this year? We have some money to spend to potentially buy a pick, which we haven't been opposed to in, in the past and our ownership is willing to do. Uh, what what other trade possibilities might, might come available at the draft? Uh, what do we want to do in free agency? So... We are, we believe, in, in a good situation, I think, after this draft uh, where we may possibly have to, and it looks likely, concede our pick to the Utah Jazz, which has been something that's been in the works for a while. So after that debt has been paid, uh, we're excited about uh, having clean books, uh, having all our first-round picks going forward, uh, have a, a ton of money in expiring contracts. I think it's something like 30-something million dollars, which is a huge advantage, Um and this year, you know, we were a small player in the trade market. But but next year, I can tell you a year from now, which sound, seems like a long time, having a, a, a big chunk of expiring contracts, having some very good young players, I imagine uh, whether we do anything or not, who knows, but our phone's going to be ringing off the hook next year. Um, I can promise you that, which which is a good position to be in. Talk a little bit about uh, the Santa Cruz Warriors uh, this year and uh, the type of, of uh, players that you have seen assembled on that roster. It seems like they have some some potential uh, NBA talent down there. Well, I know this. We were watching our game last night, and uh, Kirk Lake, who's the GM of the, the Santa Cruz Warriors, looked over his shoulder and said, guess how many turnovers we have at <laughs> the Santa Cruz Warriors. And I said, I don't know how many we have. He said, 30. I said, 30? He said, it's the third quarter. <laughs> I said, wow. He said, but we're winning. And I said, uh, I said, we can win a game and turn it over. I think we turned it over 35 times and still won, um, which, you know, you could argue that's that's not something I should share. But, uh, you know, we're happy with the D-League team. Travis Leslie has been great down there. I think he was the MVP of the D-League All-Star game last week in, uh, in, in uh, Houston, which Kirk and I attended. And um, uh, Nate Bjorkman's doing a great job. Vitaly Potapenko, the coaching staff down there. So we're very proud of uh, the team and how it's doing. We don't want them to turn the ball over as much as they have. Uh, we're very proud of the situation that we've uh, b- been able to uh, develop with, with, with players going down there w- when they needed to. So it's been a really good thing for us, and I think uh, it will continue to be one, uh, Tim. Just two final questions for you. Let's talk about the team right now on the floor. 
And uh, obviously, snapping the losing streak was, you know, that had to happen to, you know, for this team to kind of regroup. I think they did that last night. They looked a lot more aggressive. The energy level was very good. Uh, what do you see now? We're down to, what, 29 games left in the season. You know, what do you, what do you like about this group going forward? Well, I like the potential of the team, Tim. I think we've got work to do. I think um, there's moments where we look uh, look great, and there's moments where we don't. And I think developing some consistency and uh, finding ways to score when we're not making jump shots. So I, I'm I'm probably too critical. I, I I I'm probably too critical of the team. But I will tell you this: we're very young. We have a second year player at the two guard, a, a rookie at the three. Uh, we've been playing a lot of young players coming off the bench. Um, even Curry is only in his fourth year. So we're a relatively young team, and that, that's a great thing in some respects. But you know, a veteran team uh, that, that's had more experience, um, sometimes you know, that, that is a positive, and that's something we have to uh, lean on David Lee for and Jared Jack and Andrew Bogut and Carl Landry. So I like, I'm encouraged by the future. Um, we have work to do. We have a lot of work to do, uh, and it's a very difficult league. It's a very difficult conference. But um, I like the growth potential of the team, and uh, we just have to continue to work hard. Uh, myself and our basketball operations group, uh, coaching staff and players, um, because um, nobody's going to give you anything in this league, so you have to go out and earn it. But um, we're confident that we're moving in the right direction. So as we head toward uh, the end of uh, – actually, the beginning of, of March, we get down to the final uh, – week here in, in, in February, I assume that, that uh, you'll be pretty active in looking around to see if there is a player you can add to this roster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, you hang up the phone and you consummate the trade, and in the next breath, who's available? So it's got to make sense for us. And uh, like I said, I mean, some players are out there available right now. Are those the right guys? Are, are some players going to get bought out uh, in the next week or so? I mean, you, you just got to monitor it all and see see what your options and make make the best decision. There's a ten there's option to sign a guy for a ten day contract. So, the the nice thing and the and the um, the mo- motive or behind doing the deals we did was to create that opportunity. Whereas if a player had come about uh, that we liked, whether now or in the next week, without this deal and these deals occurring, we couldn't have signed anybody. We were uh, at our cap, so we're. Uh, of cap of 15 players. So we, we like where we are. Uh, so this gives us another opportunity to, to try and uh, help the team win. Well, Bob, uh, congratulations on uh, the trading deadline day and uh, best of luck in, in your pursuits to, to continue to improve the ball club and, and the great start they're having this year. And, and they're looking forward to the stretch uh, heading for the finish and uh, heading for the postseason. Yep. Sounds good, Tim. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Well, Warrior fans, the Encore Shootout is back. Renew your 2013-2014 season tickets tonight and be automatically entered for a chance to compete at the Encore Shootout during select Warrior home games. And it's a chance to win up to $12,500 in cash. Call one gsw hoop and press 1 to renew your season tickets by March 20th and to save. There is no purchase necessary to enter or win. Well, the Warriors were well represented in the All-Star Weekend in Houston as David Lee became the first Golden State All-Star since Latrell Sprewell and did very well in his limited minutes for the Western Conference team. But also Steph Curry was in the three-point shootout. 
while Clay Thompson and Harrison Barnes acquitted themselves rather well in the Rising Stars Challenge. All in all, the Warriors, in their most successful year since 2007-2008, gave the country and the rest of the association a chance to see some of their bright young stars. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. A sophomore from the Golden State Warriors, Clay Thompson. Michael Kidd Gilchrist up top, and it's Clay Thompson. The Golden State Warriors, rookie Harrison Barnes. Ball batted around to Michael Kidd Gilchrist, back over to Barnes. He'll try the three, and it's good. Harrison Barnes, the Black Falcon. Uh, I think it's uh, definitely a testament to... Uh, hey, bro. Hey, uh, Ooh, uh, hey, Golden State's well represented this weekend, huh? I mean, I, I look around, Steph's here, you're here, Clay's here. I can't, uh, you know, everywhere I look, Golden State Warriors everywhere, man. Congratulations, that's a testament to you and your hard work. Thanks, you know, I'm just happy to be a part of, the, you know, the pregame show for the David Lee Show on uh, Sunday. I mean, you know, Steph warming up, up the crowd, me and Clay warming up the crowd, and then that's the main show right there. It signifies that we're a respectable team and we're making a lot of progress towards our ultimate goal, obviously, of winning a championship. Very proud to have four guys here representing us, and uh, it's been a long time for this franchise, so very happy. From the Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry. Here we go, Steph Curry, one of the great sharpshooters in the NBA, is off to the races. Here's the final ride. It's Cash Rules. Yeah. He's in a groove now. Uh, give me that. Hold your follow through. There you go. He needs this one. This is, that's a good start. Nice. That last one was worth the two points. And there you see the 2011 Skills Challenge champion now in the three-point shooting contest. I'd say he's the best shooter in the NBA, though, Reggie. You know why? Because he's not only a spot shooter. He can shoot off the dribble. Right. He can shoot floaters. So that's part of shooting as well. This means a lot. Obviously, having four guys here representing the Warriors in Houston, it's a, it's a big a big deal. The biggest thing is, is just getting to interact with the guys um, and, and just be a part of such a special weekend overall and, and representing the Warriors. And, and we haven't had an all-star since 97. It was great to be out there representing the Bay Area, representing the Warriors, and uh, representing all my teammates. Because if we weren't winning, I wouldn't be here. So I'm just really excited for that. Yeah, having four guys here speaks uh, volumes about you know our young guys like me, Stephen Harrison. You know, still so young in this league, and I mean, you know, D. Lee deserves it. He uh, is having a 20 and 10 year, playing great. You know, he's uh, one of the main catalysts of our team, and he's a surefire all-star this year. So uh, I mean, I'm excited to watch him play on Sunday. Appearing in his second All-Star game from the Golden State Warriors, David Lee. People you can tell are really excited about the team, excited about you know, what's happening in the Bay Area, and uh, and we're here to spread the news. And so it's uh, it's great to be representing the team, and we'll just keep it up and have a fun weekend. Nice pass, and Lee puts it down. Here's Lee with a flip shot. Time for David Lee of the Warriors. Yeah, had a great time. Uh, West got a victory tonight. Uh, got in, got to play a couple minutes, get a few buckets, uh, play some good defense, and uh, and thought I'd contribute a little bit in the second half to us getting the lead. Had a great time. Shoots over him, it's up a good. Harrison Barnes can feel it right now. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable.
Time now to answer your questions on the Twitter as the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. Don't forget Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs, and that is tomorrow night, uh, 7 o'clock the airtime on KMBR 680. It's an authentic Fan Friday brought to you by Comcast Sportsnet. So on to the questions. You can follow me on Twitter at WarriorsVox, WarriorsVox, or send me an email at the Warriors website, uh, TimRoy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E, at Warriors.com. Well, SF Garrett wants to know what have been the issues for the Warriors on the defense. Well, on the heels of that losing streak, head coach Mark Jackson addressed that topic. Well, we've been bad uh, individually and collectively. At points where it was, it was a thing of beauty watching us defensively. And I don't know what the reason is, but we're not as sharp. We're not as crisp. Uh, we're not defending pick and rolls the same way. We're not containing the basketball the same way. Also, when you turn the basketball over, you give up transition points, you get guys in a rhythm, you get guys confident, and now it's a different monster you're defending. And also, you know, when you allow a team to get it, get it going in the first quarter, uh, which has been a problem lately, now everybody believes that they're you know, the best player on the floor. So we, we've got to be committed. And, and, and teams are making shots too. Uh, we could play great defense in the past and – have a mishap and contest a shot and it misses and it's a thing of beauty. Teams are making those shots, but we're a very good de- defensive team and our, our body of work says that. Right now we're struggling and it starts with one possession with perfect execution and then it turns into two, three, one quarter, uh, an entire game and that's what we're striving for right now, but we're going to be fine. Moving along, uh, Straight Nuts 26 wants to know about the Warriors' new jerseys. How do the players feel about wearing the uh, short-sleeved jerseys? Andrew Bogut, the Warriors' center, addressed that topic on his weekly radio show right here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. I actually don't mind the way way it looks, the actual shirt. Um, I think it looks, you know, um, doesn't look too bad. I think just just as a basketball player as you grow up, um, you know, in a singlet or a jersey, and it's got to be a little tough to adjust, but... um, I don't mind it, man. I don't mind. I mean, I think for fans and, and so on, it looks looks a bit more dressy than just a, just a singer or, or a jersey. But um, it's definitely uh, good to try it out. Tayshio on Twitter wants to know about Steph Curry's opinions and what the Warriors need to do to get back to playing the way they did in the first half of the season. Here is the response from Warriors guard Steph Curry. We have to rely on all five guys on the court to make plays. I mean, we don't have a superstar that can dominate for 48 minutes every single night. We have to have the guys that pitch in and make the right plays. We have threats. We have shooters all over the floor. We have guys that can make plays inside. You have to be able to make that right play and, and find uh, who's open. We try to answer as many questions as we possibly can here on the show. So we got to a few tonight, but you can go ahead and fire away at Warriors Vox, Warriors V-O-X. Don't forget Pepsi and the Warriors are offering one lucky fan the chance to win a Warriors road trip experience of a lifetime. This trip for two includes a chance to see the Warriors take on the Suns in Phoenix, Arizona in April and includes round-trip airfare, hotel accommodations, and much, much more. Registration is free. To enter, look for specifically marked Pepsi or Diet Pepsi cans. Or for complete details, including contest rules, go to warriors.com slash road trip. Let's get back to the topic of the day, the trading deadline. Mitch Lawrence of the New York Daily News is waiting patiently to talk about winners and losers today and why Josh Smith is staying in Atlanta. That comes your way as we continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KBR 680 the sports leader.
Up and good, David Lee getting to wherever he wants to go on the floor and knocking everything down. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. And the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. I, Tim Roy, joined by a longtime NBA scribe, Mitch Lawrence of the uh, New York Daily News. And training deadline day, Mitch, is always fun. There's always a certain uh, amount of anticipation that a big deal is going to happen. Uh, no big deal today, but then I had to remind myself this morning when I was getting geared up for uh, the trading deadline that really the big deals happened earlier in terms of James Harden and Rudy Gay. If, if, if those you know, if those deals were made today, it'd be, wow, what a deadline. But I think maybe the big deals this year happened a little bit early. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I love what Toronto did getting Rudy Gay. He's their best player since Chris Bosch. It's hard to get free agents to go up to Toronto. And, uh, you know, they've turned it around, and he makes players better, so that's great for them. And we all know that, uh, you know, on the eve of the season, Harden has to, you know, go to Houston for – you know, really financial reasons. It's hard for, I guess, Thunder people to accept the lay. They haven't taken a step back. It uh, remains to be seen in the playoffs, though, what happens when, you know, fourth quarter time rolls around and they need a big basket. Who's running that offense? Because that was James Harden's job. But you're right, a lot, uh, lot of minor moves today. Interesting to see that Josh Smith didn't get traded. Why do you think that happened? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, there's all kinds of theories out there, Tim, and one of them is that, you know, Josh Smith is an Atlanta kid, and they have Lou Williams, and the big Atlanta kid who's going to be available in the summer is Dwight Howard. And I know that Danny, Danny uh, Ferry, if I can remember his name correctly, I was going to call him Danny Ainge, but Danny Look, Ferry, when he first came in as the GM of Atlanta just last summer um, as the new GM, he, you know, tried to make a move for, for Dwight Howard with Orlando, offering Al Horford, didn't get done, he still thinks that he can get Dwight Howard. So I guess part of the theory is if I'm not going to get the assets I want today, meaning at the deadline, you know, maybe we'll roll the dice this summer and see if I can't get you know, two other local guys who know him real well, Atlanta guys, to try to make a move for you know, Dwight Howard as a free agent and have him come home. Now, I'm not saying Dwight Howard's going there, but I think that is definitely one of the reasons they held on to Josh Smith. Yeah, it's funny. They were teammates on an AAU team in Atlanta, and actually, I, I'm going to be interested to see, say if that were to happen, uh, Monte Ellis has a player option this year, and I know he and Josh are friends because they played AAU against each other, uh, and they've known each other for, for a long, long time. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow, some way, uh, Monte ends up on the same team as Josh Smith. You know, all these guys who came up through the AAU ranks now, Tim, as you know, have long-term friendships, and they, in a lot of cases they want to play with each other, and um, you know, this is something I think if you're a general manager and owner, you have to kind of keep in mind. It's no longer where guys come up who don't know each other, and you know, who are just competitors. These guys have a long-standing relationship, so anything's possible in this day and age. Let's talk about a couple of the deals that were made today. Uh, J.J. Redick, who has uh, made himself into a nice NBA player. You know, I didn't get it when they, they drafted him down in Orlando, but uh, they... He's really made himself into a solid player. He comes over uh, to Milwaukee. They also get Ione, who I think has some potential. Uh, what, do, what do you think that deal does for Milwaukee, and, and is that insurance in case uh, Ellis leaves in the offseason? Well, I'll tell you what. It's a real good move. I was just talking to some scouts, and everybody's rating that as one of the big moves of the day and a great move for the Bucks because, as you talked about, they might, have, they might lose Ellis. Um, they've talked about moving Jennings in the past. 
you know, J.J. Redick has probably solidified, helped solidify the Bucks in terms of getting a playoff spot for this year. And he is, you know, he has turned into a solid NBA player. Um, I was of the same opinion as you were when he first came in, but there's been a lot of hard work on his part. He's turned himself into a real nice NBA uh, scoring threat. He's an offensive player. He's a good team defensive player, according to scouts. He doesn't embarrass you on the defensive end. And it helps Milwaukee because they didn't have to give up a lot for him at all. And, you know, to get out of an Orlando situation where you're playing for a really bad team and to go to a playoff team, that's great. Plus, you know, from his standpoint, they're going to give him big bucks long term. So I think it really works out for everybody involved in that deal for Milwaukee and Reddick. What was your take on the deal between Houston and the Sacramento? We're talking to Mitch Lawrence of the New York Daily News. Uh, it just seemed that the Kings, uh, so maybe some financial considerations there, but to trade a number five pick so quickly, that's pretty rare. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I was not big on Thomas Robinson at all coming out of Kansas. When I saw him play, I saw a limited skill-wise guy. Um, you know, he's a four, but didn't have great athleticism, doesn't do, can't put the ball on the on the floor, not great hands. And I was shocked going into the draft when people were talking about him maybe going as high as two. I just didn't like him at all. And you know what? There are a lot of NBA teams who liked him, a lot of GMs. I'm, I might be in the minority on this, but I, I kind of have to give credit to Jeff Petrie. Um, if you drafted and you think you drafted bad, cut ties with the guy. Move on. And that's what they've done. And Patrick Patterson's a serviceable, you know, he's a rotation guy as a, uh, as a power forward. So I kind of like that from Sacramento's standpoint more than Houston's. I mean, Houston, you know, had some other moves and stuff, but – um, I don't know about this Thomas Robinson as a long-term guy in the NBA. You know, it's interesting because I read yesterday where everybody thought it was a, a steal for Houston, but we've seen Robinson twice, and i got to be honest, I didn't see much of a post-up game at all. Uh, he, he's athletic, but he really didn't do much for me. And on the flip side, in the two games that the Warriors have played Houston, Patterson has impressed me. He's gotten better. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't, you know, I said he was non-athletic. I really didn't mean that for Robinson. I just, you know, he just doesn't. You know, for a guy who's taken in the top five, I expected more. But then again, I remember watching him play for Kansas, and, I, and he was getting benched in NCAA games. And there were just there was a lot of things about him where I was just wondering, is this another Kansas player who doesn't make the, you know, like the Morris Twins, these guys who just don't make big impacts in the next level. And I don't want to paint a bad picture about Kansas basketball, but I just kind of wonder sometimes about these guys from certain programs. From certain programs, I agree, because I think – they fit into the system of the program and not necessarily uh, translate to the NBA in terms of, uh, in terms of talent. Uh, are, the, are the other deals today, any teams or any, uh, any deals that strike you, any teams you think did well? Uh, well, you know, I'm trying to think. You know, the Knicks got rid of Ronnie Brewer, who went from kind of a part-time starter to nothing. And, uh, you know, he probably had his best days in Utah even before he got to Chicago. I don't know what he does for Oklahoma City. Plus, they give up Eric Maynard, who, you know, is a third-string guy. But, you know, you wonder about their point guard situation beyond Russell Westbrook, like in fourth quarters of playoff games where they need somebody to run their offense and get them into the right stuff. And sometimes Westbrook doesn't do that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not big. You know, Ronnie Brewer had some knee issues here in New York. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that the Nets didn't pull a trigger on Ben Gordon with Chris Humphreys going the other way because the Nets need some firepower off the bench. And, you know, Ben Gordon's in a bad situation in Charlotte. He's got, you know, problems with the coach. It's not a good situation for a veteran guy. And I think the Nets 
will regret not really going after somebody who can give them a little little bit of offense when they need it. When you know Darren Williams has had a bad year and Joe Johnson's come on late, but beyond that, you know, offensively, I don't know what the Nets have. And then you know the, the deal that didn't get made that everybody talked about, and I've been talking to people about this, Tim, is you know the Clippers with Kevin Garnett. And let's say he agreed to waive his no-trade. No let's say they agreed on the terms. Boy, that would have been a real, that would have been a blockbuster on the deadline if they're going to give up DeAndre Jordan plus Eric Bledsoe for Garnett. And I'm kind of glad the Clippers didn't do that because I think that, you know what, short-term might have been okay with Garnett, but long-term, I'd, I, you know, I don't want to say I'd rather have DeAndre Jordan and Kevin Garnett. It kind of sounds weird, but you've got to wonder how much Garnett has left in him. You know, it's funny, too, because now the – Nothing happened for Boston today. It's almost like, okay, uh, they're just going to ride out the last couple of years with Garnett and Pierce, and, and that's going to be it because, you know, I can't see, you know, their, their market keeps going down year by year, and uh, I just can't see teams giving up an awful lot for either one of those guys right now. Right. Plus, now they made them, you know, they got this Jordan Crawford guy from Washington, but boy, you hear horror stories about what kind of locker room guy he is and somebody's. Some scout just said to me, you know, Red Auerbach's turning over his grave because he's the ultimate gunner. He's not a team player. They picked him up. And so, you know, getting back to your point, though, you're right. I mean, there reaches a point where people are just going to – are people going to want to take on Garnett and Pierce at this stage? I, I can't believe that the Nets actually talked to the Celtics. Why would there even be dialogue between those two teams if they're playoff rivals they're in the same division? I don't even know what the Nets have to offer for Paul Pierce at this time. I, I, I tend not to believe that rumor. But you always hear about Garnett because teams still are impressed with what he can do at the defensive end and his size, and he can knock down a jumper at times, and he's, a, he's just a playoff war horse, a real great veteran to have. But, you know, what are you going to give up for Kevin Garnett now? He's going to be, I think, 37 in May. You know, that's real long in the tooth. He should be playing for the Knicks. He's so old. <laughs> Yeah, hey, we were we were uh, last night. Uh, Tom Tolbert and I were talking on the air that uh, the way Jermaine O'Neal was playing for the Phoenix Suns, we thought the Knicks were sure to go after him. I mean, well, <laughs> the funny thing is he's supposed to be going to Miami. Uh, That's the reason what? they traded Dexter Pittman to create a, a roster space. And I just don't know how. I mean, you guys have seen him. I can't. I don't. How much does the guy have left in his tank, Jermaine O'Neal? Boy, I, I have to tell you, if if last night is any indication. He looked great last night. He had like 17 points, 12 boards, a couple of blocks. He was active. He looked like Jermaine O'Neal of about six, seven years ago. Well, then Pat Riley's going to be smart for picking him up because that's the one area. You know, the Heat doesn't have – with LeBron James, you really don't have any flaws because the guy could be an all-star at all five positions. But they do need some more size. And if they get Jermaine O'Neal, he helps them in even one or two playoff games, which is what an addition with that like that traditionally does for a team – then great, but that's the reason they, they got rid of Dexter Pittman making that move to trade him to the Grizzlies to, uh, to bring in Jermaine O'Neal. Mitch Lawrence, our guest on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Before I let you go, a couple of questions uh, about the New York Knicks and, and one maybe or two on the Lakers. We haven't seen the Knicks, which is a real quirky uh, part of the schedule. We'll see them the first time next week uh, in New York on the road. Uh, give us your rundown on the Knicks season. Has it been a surprise for you? And if so, why have they been so successful well they're in a deep nosedive now uh they started out 18 and 5 and 19 and 6 they're the talk of the nba everybody in new york had them in the finals they had statues erected of mike woodson and carmelo anthony's the mvp and they're 14 and 14 since mid-december and last night in indiana they got they didn't even show up it's the first game off the all-star break 
you figure they'd be coming out breathing fire. They had a bad home loss to Toronto to end the, uh, the section before the All-Star break. And last night, they mailed it in. I mean, Indiana looked like they had been – I watched the game, Tim. I wasn't there. They looked like they had been practicing for five days. It looks like the Knicks were all at the same nightclub or the same beach vacation spot for five days. And uh, it's just bad for Mike Woodson because this was a, a thing where they didn't even care defensively. And he's made people accountable this year. He's done a real nice job following Mike D'Antoni. But I wrote this a few weeks, like last week I wrote about it in the Toronto game. I just wonder if the Knicks now are kind of getting back into those bad habits about D'Antoni where they just kind of turn off what the coach is saying. You never see that with Tom Thibodeau in Chicago. You never see that with Frank Vogel in Indiana and other coaches, obviously. But, boy, it just seems like there are these games where the Knicks just don't, not only do they not pay attention to Mike, but they also start going after the officials. They get teed up. J.R. Smith got ejected last night. Carmelo starts pouting. And it looks like they don't even have Rasheed Wallace in there, you know, losing their minds. So they're, in, they're not in a good way now, not at all. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, how much, and we kind of joked about it a moment ago, but they have a lot of veterans. They have a lot yeah. of older players. Is that going to be a factor for them coming down the stretch? Oh, it's a, I think Jason Kidd should have spent the All-Star break in a hyperbaric chamber. I mean, they wore him out in that first half. They, they played him as, hey, you know, the, here's, the, here's the situation for Woodson. J.R. J.R. Smith. Jason Kidd, how could I confuse those two? Jason Kidd is, is still an elite playmaker in terms of, you know, IQ and knowing who to get the ball to and having the magical powers to get people to pass the ball. But the Knicks basically played him too many minutes in that first half, and now he can't make a shot. His legs are dead at times, Tim. And so, you know, you can criticize Woodson. I also look at it as, well, Mike Woodson's looking at, well, you know what, if we can catch Miami for the top spot, and get the home court advantage if we have to play them. we got to get every win we can now. So that's why they wore out Jason Kidd. But it's come back to bite him. Because now Kidd really is, uh, hasn't done anything. And, you know, they don't have Rasheed Wallace. And Rasheed did very little when he was in. It was all more talk than anything else. But they consider him an important vet. And Kurt Thomas is the oldest man alive in the NBA. And he's not giving him anything. So, you know, it all comes back to really what Carmelo does for him. And Carmelo has had a lot of problems these last few weeks. I don't know what that's been all about. But he has not played at the same level he played earlier when he was making guys better. Mitch, when you heard the comments from Mitch Kupchak this week saying, hey, you know, Dwight Howard's our future, is that in maybe a not-so-subtle way to tell Kobe, hey, he's, he's going to stick around, so you've got to figure this out? Well, yeah, in a way. I, I, you know, the thing about Dwight Howard is I never thought they were going to trade him because, to me, Tim, Kobe, you know, the Lakers are looking at it as this guy's a superstar, and we don't lose superstars. We get superstars. We keep them. And Kobe Bryant, at one, at some point, two or whether it's two or three years down the road or whatever, he's no longer going to be around. So who, who's our next guy? Who gets the torch? And it's going to be Dwight Howard. And so I never thought they were going to trade him. I don't know if Mitch is sending Kobe messages, but you know they all know out there that you know when people talk about well Dwight's a goofball. Well, they knew that when they traded him for him, and they knew this was not really a marriage made in basketball heaven because. He's not wired like Kobe, but neither was Shaq. And, you know, when people talk about they have a bad relationship, this is not like Kobe and Shaq where they're mortal enemies and they have one, they had to get rid of one guy. I mean, Kobe puts up with Dwight, and Dwight, you know, acts like kind of the class clown, and the Lakers are going to see what they have. And this is the way they have to go. And if it means Mike D'Antoni can't be their coach, I know Mitch has come out in support of him, but that's right now. If that means, you know, if they've got to get a signature on Dwight's contract long term, and the coach has to go by the wayside, they bring somebody else in, whether it's Phil Jackson or somebody else, that's what they're going to do. But 
I think we all know that they were not. I would have been shocked today if they would have traded Dwight Howard because traditionally, what are the Lakers? The Lakers look at themselves as, you know, they don't look at themselves as Cavaliers as we lose people like LeBron James. They keep their stars. They build around their stars, and their stars wind up getting statues. I wrote that in my column today, just kind of like, you know, this is the way it's going to be. Not that he is going to get a statue, but whether it was Magic, whether it was, Co- you know, whether it was um, Kareem, those are the kind of guys that the Lakers always keep. They get their statues. And what did Mitch Kupchak come out and say yesterday? Well, I can see Dwight Howard having a statue one day. So it sounds crazy, but that's how they regard him, and that's the important thing. Mitch, for people to get to your, your writings and your columns and they want to follow you on Twitter, how would they do it? Go to, M, go to M. Lawrence at nydailynews.com, and they can read everything I write. I don't tweet at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't for a long time, but I, I had the, you they started. Dra- yeah, they dragged me into it. So oh, good for uh, you. So we, we, we do it now. And, I'm sure and, you're uh, getting extra pay for that. Oh, of course. Of course. You know how this business works. Uh, hey, I, I always it's always great to, to uh, chat some hoop with you. I look forward to hopefully to see you when uh, the Warriors get to town in New York next week. Well, not only that, I'll see you in the Bay. Oh, outstanding. We'll see you there. Very All good. All right, man. I don't believe it. I can't believe We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time now for the upcoming broadcast starting tomorrow night. The Authentic Fan Friday brought to you by Comcast Sportsnet. The first 19,000 receive a Harrison Barnes Collective Series cheer card. It's also the night where the Warriors will debut those sleeve jerseys that they unveiled last week. Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs. And can they contain Tony Parker? Top of the key. Parker, hesitation dribble, takes it inside. High arcing shot off the glass is good for Tony Parker. Spurs on a 9-0 run, a 10-point lead, it's 85-75, and Tony Parker now has 18, and a timeout for Larry Drew. Warriors and Spurs tomorrow night starts at 7 o'clock, then on to the last monster road trip of the season. Starts in Minneapolis when the Warriors take on Ricky Rubio and the Timberwolves. Wolves are up by 7, the lob to the rim from Rubio to Kirilenko, and he'll flush it through for 2. Warriors and Wolves starting at 12 o'clock on KMBR 1050 on Sunday. Ted Robinson on the call. I'll be working with Jim Barnett on Comcast Sportsnet. Then it's on to Indiana where the Warriors take on the Pacers and the rising star of the East, Paul George. Hibbert has it. Sends it outside for George. Boom, baby! Welcome for Paul George. That is a team record ninth three-point basket for George. He has a career-high 37 points. Warriors and Pacers, 345 the airtime on KBR 680. Again, Ted Robinson on the call. Here's truly a Jim Barnett on Comcast. Then it's on Wednesday in New York. I'll be back on the mic when the Warriors take on the New York Knicks and Carmelo Anthony. Back with it comes Mello. Mello inside, easy layup. And the Knicks now up by 19. Warriors and Knicks, 445, the airtime on KMBR 680, and that will get us to the next Warriors Weekly Roundtable from Boston on Thursday night, February 28th. Warriors and Celtics will follow on Friday. 
So one home game between the two shows. That's tomorrow night when the Warriors take on the Spurs. I, Tim Roy, thanking our guest, Bob Myers, Warriors general manager, for his thoughts on what was an interesting trading deadline day for Golden State, thanking head coach Mark Jackson, Warriors guard Steph Curry, Mitch Lawrence of the New York Daily News, thanking the best producer in the Western Hemisphere, R.C. Davis, Dave Feldhaus at the controls. I, Tim Roy, that's been the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Ray Woodson taking your calls and comments next, right here. I can't be our 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. It's a four on three. The trailer's Curry right side. Fires away. Three ball. For tickets, go to warriors.com or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.